Go stand up against that wall. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to play a little bit. <laughs> All right. Um, turn your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 5. Well, chapter the end of chapter 4. And can we give John and the team a warm round of applause? I'm just so, you know, they're, they're certainly not pre- playing for an applause, they're playing for, uh, for God, but it's just such a privilege to have them worship with us this morning. I've, I've really enjoyed uh, the time I've been able to spend with them and their congregation, and uh, if you guys ever want to go with me when I go to hang out with them, you are more than welcome. And, and they like rock it out, like they plug in, you know, <laughs> it's awesome. Um, but, so what we're going to do, over the next couple weeks... We're going to get into some uh, parts of Hebrews here, which are extremely important, and they have to do with the very core of our faith, yet at the same time, I think for some of us, this, this may come across as maybe tedious, or boring, or a little heady, or uh, maybe familiar, and you're like, ah, I've already heard that, I already got that down, I know that part of our theology, or whatever, but what I want to do is today and next week, just kind of step back a little bit, uh, try to hear some things for the first time, and it just might be that some of us uh, need some, some really deep systemic change in the way we understand ourselves and the way we understand God. What we're speaking on specifically this morning is, our, is how we relate to God and, and our relationship to God, our, our connecting with God. Um, and to, to, to do so, we're going to dive into some... Uh, views, ancient views of God before Christ, and and then how radically changing uh, Jesus was for everyone. And so, let's all buckle our seatbelts, ready to go? Let's pray, and we're going to dive in. God, we just thank you again for this time to gather today. I ask that you enlighten us and open our eyes as we listen and read these ancient words. Uh, may our our hearts uh, be opened to your word and to, and to the truth of Jesus Christ. Uh, convict us of our sins where we fall short. And God, may we fall completely into your arms of grace and love, that we may see you more clearly, that we may love you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at verse 14 in Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 14. If you need a blue Bible, you can raise your hand. I'm sure somebody can stand up and get you a blue Bible. John will get you one if you need a blue Bible. Raise your hand. Verse 14, uh, 14 of chapter 4 in the book of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. The readers of Hebrews, they're being tempted to turn back to their old system, turn back to their old religion. All they would have to do is just walk away from this whole Jesus fellow who's getting them into so much trouble, and their lives will be spared. It's a rough time for them. And we've seen how how the writer of Hebrews is reminding them again and again how important this is. Don't, Don't turn back. Hold strong to the faith that you have. And, and to fully understand why this was so radically transforming. See, here's the thing. For us, part of our problem is that Christianity has been part of our American culture. 
And so we don't see it as such a radically transforming idea. We don't see, we don't feel the, the, the depth of it as they may have. In, in their culture, in their understanding for the Greeks... The Stoics uh, in the first century, whose philosophy dominated much of the, the Greek and the Roman culture, they believed that God's primary attribute was apathy. The Greek word is apatheia. In some of their writings, uh, God is incapable, it says, of feeling joy, sorrow, gladness, grief, or any other human emotion. The Epicureans taught that, that the gods lived in what they called the intermundium, which was this space between heaven and earth, they believed. And there was this space. And that's where God lived. And so what that means then is that God doesn't really interact with any of the mortals in any way. He doesn't interact with mankind. He's sort of like in that space that mankind, mankind will never go. Neither heaven nor the earth. Completely detached from us. And then the Jewish, the prominent Jewish understanding. So this is where these folks are, are coming from. On back 4,000 years or more, the, the Jewish understanding of God tended to be, uh, to, to believe that God was incapable of, of sharing the feelings of men. God was too distant, too far removed in nature for man to be able to identify with our feelings and our temptations and our problems. Within the Old Covenant, the Jewish people tended to believe that God was incapable completely of, of, of sharing their feelings and, um, and so, so therefore his dealings with them was, was less direct. Uh, it was more distant, except, except for very rare instances, even the, the most devout followers, the greatest believers, except for rare instances, they never shared deep intimacy with God. It was, it was rare for somebody to have a personal, one-on-one -on -one interaction, connection, conversation with God. And so in this mindset, God is distant. God is far removed. God doesn't really care. God doesn't really know how we feel. He's like, listen, everything has changed. Don't quickly go back to the old system because of problems you're currently facing. Hold tightly firmly to the faith that, that we have. Now look at the next two verses in 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest, he says. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Think about this in their context, of this God who's sort of aloof. He's come into this world and he's become this high priest and he's been tempted in every way that we are. He, he's suffered in every way that we suffer. Let us then, he says, approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. Now, how is this possible for this community, for this people, for us to approach the throne of God the creator of this world, his very, his very presence, his full presence, how is it possible to approach that with confidence? I mean, this is radically shifting, radically changing humans' understanding of who God is. And so then he goes on to continue explaining it. So let's look at the next four verses or so. 
starting uh, in chapter 5. Every high priest, he says, is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he, is, he has to offer, speaking of the, the high priest, this is why the high priest has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as those sins of the people. No one takes his honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. Now, what the writer is doing, he's referring to Aaron, who was the original high priest uh, of the Jewish community. He's referring back to the book of Leviticus, to the law. So what I want to do is turn to Leviticus... This is like the third book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. It's, it's part of the Torah, the Jewish scriptures. And what I want you to do is take, take these fingers and put them on Leviticus chapter 1. And then take your thumb and put it on Leviticus chapter 27. So that way you'll be holding the entire book of Leviticus in your hand. Assuming you're, holding, you're using your left thumb and it might be strange if you use your, use your left hand. And then, uh, now we've got the Leviticus in our hand. Imagine, all right, th- this, this right here. This is Leviticus. Imagine that you came to faith, all right? Some of you guys are, are new to the faith. You, you come to faith, and I come to you, and, and I hand you this right here, this book of Leviticus, and I say, this is our law. This is our law. Now that you've come to faith, you need to read it and, and memorize it, really. And then follow everything it says perfectly. This is, our, this is our spiritual practice right here. All right? So this is what you've entered into. You're part of the covenant now. Come to faith. Now follow this perfectly. And we're part of you know, this community that God has called out. And our goal is that the whole community follows this 100% with, with complete accuracy. Let's, let's take a minute. Just, I want you guys to flip through Leviticus. Just kind of skim it for about a minute, all right? I want you to start just oh, get a quick little overview of Leviticus. And here, while, while we do this, if you see anything weird, just read it out loud, all right? If you see any weird laws, anything hard to follow, just read it out loud. No fat. No fat of the cattle, sheep, or goats. Burn it up. Do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. <laughs> <laughs> now, if a man has a seminal emission, he shall bathe all his body in water and be unclean until evening. As for any garment or any leather on which there is seminal emission, it shall be washed with water and be unclean until evening. <laughs> it's in the Bible. Don't blush. It's in the Bible. <laughs> What else? Guys, this is rated R. <laughs> Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Alright. You can only pick your garden once. <laughs> a man or woman who is a medium or spiritist among you must be put to death. Hmm. You are to stone them. Their blood will be 
Mm. Are there any mediums here today? <laughs> Anyone? No? Just wondering. All flying insects that walk on all fours are to be detestable to you. <laughs> there are, however, some winged creatures that walk on all fours that you may eat. <laughs> Those that have jointed legs for hopping on the ground. <laughs> If you, if you just don't like bugs, that's uh, easy to follow, I guess. you got to offer a sacrifice because you didn't quite detest that mosquito enough. Right. Anything else? Could you imagine this? I mean, seriously, think about this, all right? Let's go back some thousand years, 4,000 years. We're given this. This is our, this is our discipleship code right here. This is, our, this is part of our discipleship process. And we've got to follow this completely, perfectly. And, and, uh, it, and it even prescribes what happens when we don't. And there's these, you know, part of the Leviticus is all of this, this whole sacrificial system. Because you guys are still pretty screwed up, aren't you? Like, you can't follow it, even though it's been told, you know, don't do this. Well, you do it anyways. And now what do you do? Now that you've sinned. We've got to have like this... Backing up just a little bit, we, we, we've got to understand sin, the gravity of sin, the nature of sin, and the problem of sin, just how dark and how evil sin really is. Um, the, a guy named Jonathan Lehman, he, he describes sin as this. He says, sin is the misappropriation of the rule that God gave to Adam. Every action that humans make in the flesh and not in the spirit is an abuse of authority. Sin is authority wrongly exercised or legitimated. From the very beginning of time, sin could be described, could be defined as an abuse of authority. Every, every human, just simply by being human, we, ha- we wield a certain amount of power. We wield a certain amount of authority. Nietzsche talks about this, how every human has power. God has gifted every human with a certain amount of authority. And sin then is when we take that authority and we tweak it and we move it around and we use it for our own own benefit. Um, From the very beginning of our story, we see humans, Adam, given a certain amount of power, a certain amount of authority, the power to choose. And what happens? It's abused. Sin, think about, I've got two girls, of course. By the way, I heard Paul used uh, my girls as an illustration last week. Well done. I told him to. (laughs) Um, I've got to, they've got to get into every message here, right? (laughs) The five-year-old, Jaden, is a little bigger, and she can kind of push the three-year-old around a little bit. And if Eden has something Jaden wants... Jaden can take it from him. And that's a, an abuse of authority. It's abuse of power. And that's no different from an from a empire, a king, who's very large, taking the land from a weaker, a weaker empire. Um, everything from, from children to empires, from immorality to injustice, from touching your girlfriend to taking advantage of the poor, from the family to the environment, 
we're seeking our own, our own benefit. We're seeking our own reward, our own sick pleasure, our own ego. And therefore, we, we, we do things. We, we take the authority that we have, the power that we have, and we tweak it, and we, we have it serve us instead of submitting it unto, un, under the authority of God. Have you ever thought of sin this way? As simply, I mean, here's the power that God's given us, the authority that God's given us, and we're wrongly using it. We're abusing our power. Pastors do this, well, stereotypically do this all the time, and some of them do do this all the time. You know, abusing the authority. God's given a pastor a certain amount of authority and entrusted them with some authority, and they use it to fill their egos with pride or to fill their pockets with cash. I mean, everybody, no matter, you know, how religious you are or how irreligious you are, we are all succumbed to this sort of, you know, we could be doing good things, very good things, but we're doing them for the wrong reason, and we're therefore using our authority, we're abusing our authority to fill us somehow, to, to benefit us somehow. And so God then calls these people, Israel, in Leviticus here, he's calling them uh, to submit their power, to submit all of their power underneath the, this law, therefore underneath him, submitting, it, submitting their authority to his greater authority. And so Leviticus then, like in, in, in chapter 16, it specifically gets into the, this idea of sacrifice and the day of atonement. It's, it's, it describes how to go about atoning for all of our sins throughout the entire year, all of the many times that we've abused our own authority, we've gone against what God has told us to do, whether it's eating fat or whether it's taking advantage of somebody or uh, lust or pride or anger or whatever. And so there's this, all of these sins that pile up on top of this community. And now there's this day of atonement in which they can completely be taken care of throughout the year. So to, to illustrate this, let me try to describe this a little bit, how this sacrificial system would work. Um, let's just say that you guys are the people of Israel. All right? You guys are the cho- God's chosen people. And through your seed, God is going to bless the entire world. So it's very important now how you act. It's very important how you listen to him. At this point, you're pretty much the only people he's communicating with. And uh, he's given you Leviticus, and you're, you're screwing it up over and over and over. All right? Like every minute, actually, you're sinning. Like right now, you guys are sinning. Right now, I don't know what, you know, a thought just popped into your head. And you're sinning. Um, and so, so you're, you're really a bunch of screw-ups. And so now there's got to be some kind of system put in place to, to really make things right with God again, and, so, and he'll bless you and whatever. And so what, what it describes then is, is to choose from among you a high priest. So choose from among you a high priest. Queen? <laughs> queen, come on, queen, queen's... Queen's, Queen's our uh, honored guest today. But you can come up and be a high priest if you'd like to. You don't have to. Oh, I actually have to go up. You do. Come on up. <laughs> All right, this is Mike Queen, everybody. Good, good friend of uh, many of us. All right, Queen, put your head on the table right here. No, just kidding. I feel like a magician, you know. Um, so, so Queen is your high priest. Now, Mike Queen is going to represent you guys... To God, like he's like your attorney. You just selected the queen to be your attorney to go before God to plead your case. All right. So you're putting a lot of confidence in this fellow. <laughs> now, here's here's the way the system worked. All right, they would select from among them a high priest. 
God would call, I don't know if God called you. Did you just hear a voice? But just for the second, let's just pretend God called him. Now, he's going to represent you. Think about the weight of this. You are not going to speak with God on your own. You're not going to represent God on your own. God's not going to talk to you. He's going to talk to him about you. All right? And so now Queen has to go and, and uh, do this thing. So, so before, because, here's the thing. My Queen is pretty screwed up himself. <laughs> you know? And so how's he going to go represent you when he's got his own baggage? And so what's, what, what's happening here, and you can see this in Leviticus 16, is that Mike has to then offer a, a sacrifice. Queen is his last name, by the way, if you're wondering why we call him Queen. He has to offer a sacrifice for himself uh, before he can offer a sacrifice for you or enter into God's holy place. So, um, choose your weapon. And, uh, you know, I asked Sean to bring his cat, but Sean's not here today. I don't know why Sean didn't come. I actually asked him if he could bring his cat this morning. Um, because I really wanted to illustrate this. Uh, can anybody run home and grab your cat? Um, yeah, this kind of screws my illustration up. All right, so let's just pretend we have Sean's cat. All right, we lay it down and cut the head off. All right? I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. Sean loves his cat. That's why. Um, all right, so so he offers a sacrifice. Now, think, this, this idea of a sacrifice, just in a nutshell, we could talk a lot about blood and the significance of blood, and there's, blood is where life is. Life is in the blood. And so all of these reasons why a sacrifice was required, but on a very sort of sim simple nutshell uh, shot at this, you have abused your authority. You, God has given you a, a, an amount of power, an amount of authority, and you've abused it. So because of that, your authority is required. Your power is required. Your life is required. Because you've abused what you've been given. But since God is this loving God, early on he made this, created this sacrificial system where he told you guys, the community of Israel, he said, you can take the life of a goat, and it's all a, a sheep, all these different uh, options that you have for different sins. You can sacrifice these things. You can completely remove that, this animal of all of its authority, of, of its very life, and the blood will spill, and that blood then will cover you, and and animal will pay in, in your place, temporarily at least. The Day of Atonement would last for about a year. And so after the high priest, you know, sacrificed for himself, then he goes into the Holy of Holies, and I'll set up the Holy of Holies right here. Um, so... <laughs> Man, if we had like a huge budget, I would have built an entire temple today. I'm serious. But um, instead, uh, this is the Holy of Holies. And uh, he's approaching the throne of God, this, this place where God's presence is fully, fully there. He's fully present in this little room. The holiest place of all, the Holy of Holies. If the high priest would walk into this place at any other time, he would be killed. He would die. He would lose his life. If he walked in and he had sin in his life, he would die. All right? So this is, like, pretty important. And so here's the Holy, Holy of Holies. And, um, <laughs> is everything cool with you? And so, like, he, he offers the sacrifice. Now he's going to go. And so he walks in like this. 
And he, 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 there's a veil, by the way. Oh, by the way, this is a veil. There's a veil which is covering, let's just pretend this is God's throne. God's throne is right here, the Holy of Holies, God's full presence. And separating the Holy of Holies from everyone else is this veil. And once a year, the high priest would enter, go into the, through the veil, and he would fully enter God's presence. And it was such a huge thing, a huge deal, that he would die if he did it in the wrong way. And so he does it, and um, he just died. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He didn't die. And so... And, and so he would go and he would, he would speak with God. All right, let's give Queen a nice round of applause. And, uh, thank you. But um, so this was the system. Now think about this. So day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, you guys keep screwing up. You keep falling. You keep abusing your authority. You keep just doing your own thing. And this system constantly continues year after year after year and sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And you're enslaved to it. You're enslaved to your sin. You can't, I mean, even though you have it all laid out right here, you can't do anything about it. You can't follow it. And you're enslaved to the sin. And then that therefore enslaves you to the law. You're enslaved by Leviticus. It, it's, a, it's a burden on you. I mean, think about it, guys. If you could simply, like, like really just put yourself there and, and you're looking through Leviticus and you actually had to follow this in order to, to be right with God, you'd be like, oh, you know, like it, it feels heavy. <coughs> this is the system that they've been under. And what Hebrews is telling us, what the writer of Hebrews is telling us, is that there is a new people of God, all right? Let's, let's back up a little bit. He's saying there's a new people of God there's a new kind of slavery, a deeper slavery, a slavery that's always been there, that's even worse than the slavery of Egypt. It's the slavery of sin. There's a new kind of liberation. There's a new wilderness wandering. And what he's saying here now, what, what we're getting into, is he's saying there is a whole new system. It's a whole new system. The old system is, is completely done away with. And so, so with this new system, what he's reminding them is, is you can approach the throne, the holy of holies, this, this presence. Of, you can approach the throne with confidence. Every one of you can. You can approach it with confidence. Now, can I have a little moment of confession here? Can I say something and, and hope that you guys don't like look down on me and judge me and become a Pharisee? Um, a little while ago... I was uh, um, I had I was bumped into and I lost my front license plate on my car, and um, I didn't put it right back on right away because it was broke. So I'm driving down the road and I got pulled over, and um, this is like this isn't the last, you know. A lot of you guys know what happened this last week. This is months ago, all right. But yeah. little side note: last night my wife told my girl we saw a police car driving by. She was like. She was like, she told my girls, she was like, Daddy has a problem with the police. <laughs> like, what have I become? And she said it with all seriousness. I'm like, what have I become? You know? I've got a problem with... And Jay was like, Daddy, watch out, there's the popo. <laughs> Come on. What is this? And, yeah. Um, read my blog if you don't know what I'm talking about. But 
going back about a year, I was pulled over another time. And so the license plate was knocked off and um, pulled over, got a ticket for not having the license plate on. Did you guys judge me for that? I'm sorry. Confession. And, and here it gets worse. Um, so we were moving around the same time. We're getting ready to move. And uh, we forgot to pay the ticket. And uh, I, don't, I, I honestly don't remember if I thought I paid it or if I thought just paid it or what. But it wasn't paid. All right. It was, it was out of my mind. And then we got a letter in the mail that said, um, you have 30 days to pay the ticket or your license is going to be suspended. Well, the problem was this. is We, didn't, we were moving and all of our mail was stuffed into a big bag and um, never even looked at this piece of mail. All right. So time goes by. And, um, you know, we're, we're living at the Holmes house for a while. And I've got this bag of mail that I should be going through. And I choose not to. <laughs> yeah, it was all their fault, actually. Um, I don't know how that is, but we can pass the blame somehow. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, and so then some time goes by, and uh, my license is suspended. Anyways, now I've got a court date because I've got a suspended license and all this kind of jazz. And so the night before I go into court, like I actually called Carrie because Carrie's a lawyer, and I was like, hey, what do I do? You know, give me some... She was like, I don't know. I'm not giving you legal advice. <laughs> and... Uh, I was going to call David, but I was too embarrassed. Like, I can't tell David I have my license suspended. <laughs> and, um, uh, and so I'm, like, up all night, like, getting – I had a file, like, this thick. I was going to take to court with me, and I'm representing myself. I don't have, I don't have an attorney. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm representing myself because, uh, you know, I think I'm smart. And, um, and I'm up, like, really late. And I'm, so I've got this – together and I, and I go in early in the morning I get get to court really early and I'm sitting there waiting for my time to go up and, and plead my case because it truly was like this huge series of um, accidents basically and not that I'm not responsible but I went up and I, I, I talked to the um, state's attorney and uh, mustered up the courage I'm like hey you know, like I think she could tell I was up all night and try to explain to her what happened and stuff and and I think she just had pity on me. Like, she was like, this poor guy. Like, what an idiot, you know? <laughs> and she actually, she said, you have representation? I'm like, no. <laughs> Should I? I'm kind of representing myself. Because I've always wanted to be an attorney anyway. I, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I ever told you guys that. Like, I, I was in my element, actually. But I was tired. I, I felt like um, Tom Cruise, you know, with the baseball bat. Remember that? Uh, what movie is that? Anyways. So, I'm in court. And, and. It's time to go up, and I, and I take my little seat, and or I, I stand, and uh, the state's attorney says, um, I'm going to forget the term now. Null process? Is that the right term? Non-process. Non-process? Yeah. Basically, the state's attorney hooked me up, and she was like, I'm not going to, I'm going to let him go, because I feel really bad for the idiot. And... Uh, but here's the thing, like, I was shaking, like, going before the judge, you know? And, and I just saw, like, the judge throw somebody and, you know, like, behead him, you know. I mean, I was, it happened right in front of me. They came in. No, not really. But I was really scared, and I thought maybe I would get life or 20 years or something. And, um, and this is for something that's really kind of funny and small and, you know, ridiculous, an accident. But to kind of take that little, that bit of feeling there that we have when, we, when we're approaching you know, the throne, so to speak, and put that on a much grander scale, the creator of the universe who is pure and holy and good, 
and who has created everything and everything, including you, have rebelled and the power that you've been given, the authority that he's gifted you, you've used it in the wrong way. You've used it to serve yourself. You have not submitted it to his authority. And you're going to go before his throne with confidence? How is that possible? You're going to walk up to this great, holy judge when you know that you're guilty and there's nothing you can do about it with confidence. And this is what they're being told right here. If if you guys are still in Leviticus, turn back to Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews, guys, is telling us that that there is this there has been this radical shift in in their view of God, in our view of God, in contrast to these views of God, which say that God is distant, God is far off, God doesn't really know what you're going through, He's sort of this angry judge. In contrast to this, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is no, the God of the Bible is and and always has been in Jesus Christ big enough to to create the universe but also loving enough to completely understand what you're going through to completely identify with you to completely feel your pain and understand your hurts God is not only there but God has also been here as well And it says that Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we have been. When Jesus lived this life, in our house community the other night, one thing uh, that that somebody brought up, Kirsty brought this up, was just, just how hard temptation is in and of itself. Not just giving into sin, but temptation itself is painful. Jesus has, has come into this world. God incarnate has come into this world and has been tempted in every way, just as we are. He's, he's, he feels your pain. He, feels, he knows what it's like to be lonely. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to hurt. When, when, when you're hanging on your cross and you cry out, God, God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus has been there. I mean, think about this. Jesus knows what it's like to feel that God is distant, to feel that God has forsaken him. He knows what that feels like. Can you guys wrap your minds around this fact that God himself identifies with us in such a deep and intimate way that God himself knows what it feels like for God to be distant? It's phenomenal. I mean, this is a radical shift in the way that we think of God in the way that we approach God. And the veil, the old veil of the temple, when Jesus, when Jesus died in Matthew 27, he, he, he dies, and the veil in the temple which separated God's holy of holies, the very presence of God from the rest of humanity, when Jesus died, the, the veil in the temple was completely torn from top to bottom. And that veil wasn't like a flimsy little thing like this. The veil was... Theologians talk about how it was most likely a four to five inch thick piece of material. Heavy. 
When Jesus died, from the top to the bottom, the veil was completely torn in two. And God's presence spilled out and poured out on all of humanity. And the old system was done away with. The need for, for such a priesthood, as, as Mike Queen so eloquently demonstrated, was vanished. The sacrificial system was finally, once and for all, put to an end because finally the one perfect sacrifice had come and had offered his blood. And then became this great high priest to intercess on our behalf. Let me, this is a little side note, but let me make this very clear. Because it's important to sort of how we operate as a church and who we are and our identity. I'm not a priest. I'm not a priest. I don't go to God for you. All right? I don't intercess on your behalf. I don't, I'm not your mediator between, between you and, and God. Um, I have a friend who, he doesn't believe in, in Christ. He doesn't believe in the scriptures. And um, he regularly tells me, he says, look, if it's all true, um, then you can represent me before God and say, hey, he was a good guy, you know. And I'm like, dude, I'm not even representing myself. <laughs> you don't want me to represent you before God. And this is where I part ways with some of my Roman Catholic brothers and sisters. Is the, the priesthood is vanished. The need for a mediator between humans and God has been put, put away. It's It's done. Take communion, for example. Have you guys ever seen a bunch of priests taking the Eucharist together, communion together? When they do it, they serve themselves. Why is that? It's because they have a direct connection between God. There's no need for the, for the grace to flow through anyone else. So when we do communion here, you don't come forward and I don't put it into your mouth and I don't make you drink the cup. Because there's no need for grace to flow this way. There's no need for God to connect with you through me. I'm not your priest. In, in uh, first, um, my mind just went blank. In First Peter chapter 2, it talks about how all Christians are priests. Hebrews is telling us here that we have uh, direct access to God's throne, to God's presence. And so when we come together to do communion, we do it all as priests. We come before the one great high priest under his submission. And that grace is, is connecting, I mean, like 100% right there in God's presence. So, that was a little side note, but I think it's important. I really do. <clears throat> the last night I was thinking about this whole thing of like high priest. The whole fact that the system has been done away with and that there's a whole new system at hand. And I was thinking to myself... Uh, like, what is its significance for us? Like, how does this change our life? How should this change our life? When we really think about this, that there's a whole new system and, and that we have a direct connection with God through Jesus Christ. And so as I'm thinking about this, I started to, I started to pray and, like, ask God, so, like, you know, just show, like, what is, what is this done for us? And then I begin to have, like, this really intimate time with God as I'm praying, asking for some enlightenment on the issue. And then it hit me. 
This is the difference right here. This connection that we have with God, this intimacy that we have with God through Jesus Christ. The fact, I mean, think about this. The Holy of Holies has been, it's, it's exploded all around us. And God's presence is with us all of the time. And we can commune with God at any moment of the day and he completely understands us. That is the difference. That is this radical transformation. And so we need to embrace this new system. We need to forget the old and embrace the new. But here's what we often do is we, we often still, we still try to operate by the old system. We still try to perform. I have a friend who uh, does some really cool acts of worship. There's some really cool stuff for God. This person uh, fasts regularly. Uh, this person regularly prays for people and with them. This person um, uh, uh, gives, gives a lot of their money. But at the same time, uh, as I have interacted with this person, I also find that they feel very distant from God. And they're constantly wondering if God really loves them. And it's because when they give, they're giving looking for a blessing. When they fast, they're fasting looking for a blessing. So for instance, I, I have a big job interview coming up. And I want God to help me get the job. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to sacrifice food. Because my behavior hasn't been that great. So I'm going to sacrifice food. Put that on the altar. And now look up for God's blessing to come down upon me. Or I'm going to, I need money. i got to pay bills. And so I sacrifice some of my money. And I put some money on the altar. <coughs> looking for God then to bless me with more money. What is this? This is, this is doing spiritual actions, looking for God's blessing. And you might say, wait a second, what's wrong with that? That's what I do all the time. <laughs> the problem with that is that's legalism. That's the old system. The problem with that is that we then believe that God is holding blessings back from us. We believe that God has blessings for us and he's waiting for us to act right to get our attitude together or to do the right act, the, the right service, the right behavior. And when we do the right behavior, then he will give us some of those blessings. That's the old system. And we get caught up in this and we start to think like, you know, I mean, sure, we trust Jesus enough to get us from hell to heaven. But then after that, it's like all on us. It's to perform. We've got to do the right stuff. We've got to act right. We've got to give right. We've got to do all of this stuff. And we're doing it so God then will accept us and bless us. We obey so God will accept us. That's the old system. The new system in Christ has completely changed everything. Look at the next couple of verses in verse 7. He says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus then is acting on your behalf as, as your mediator, as your high priest. And he's, Jesus, not you, Jesus is crying out to God on your behalf. Have you guys ever thought of that? 
that when you're praying, Jesus is praying for you? I mean, this is a radical shift right here in our thinking and the way we relate to God. It's no longer like trying to pray the right prayer and say it loud enough and say amen hard enough so it gets up to God. But all of a sudden, it's this recognition, this realization that as I'm praying, Jesus is praying for me. And so we're not, we're not performing, we're not obeying simply so God will accept us. Going on, uh, verse 9, it says, once made perfect, and made perfect there, it means complete. Once his, his death and resurrection happened, once made perfect, he, Jesus, became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And this word obey brings to mind this idea of submission. Submitting all of our authority, submitting all of our power into Christ. Putting it all into Christ. And saying, look, I cannot go before this great judge and represent myself. You can try, and God will let you do that if you want to represent yourself. But what, what Hebrews is saying is that we, we, we submit everything that we are to Christ. All of our actions, all of our good deeds, we, we throw it all behind Christ. And we say, in and of ourselves, I'm completely unworthy. There's nothing good. But in Christ, I've been made completely whole because Christ has gone before the judge. He's gone before the throne. And not only is he your, is he your high priest, but he also carries the price that you owe. His sacrifice, his blood, his redemption. I wonder if, if there is anyone here who has been representing yourself. And when you think of entering God's presence, the creator of this world, when you think of entering his presence, it's very fearful for you. When you think of dying, it's very fearful because you don't know what's on the other side. And it's because you are representing yourself. Is there anyone here who is, has been riding on the spiritual tail of someone else? A family member, a spouse, a friend. And, and really, your spiritual growth is completely a direct result of their spiritual growth. You're just kind of like coasting on their tail. And... and What's happening is, is you're not putting your faith into Christ. You're putting your faith into your friend. Your faith is in their faith. Or me. Don't do that. It's not good. <laughs> is there anyone here who has been performing? You've been doing acts of good deeds, service. You've been uh, uh, doing spiritual acts of worship. But you're doing it looking for God's blessing to come down. And that flies in the face of Jesus Christ, who, who, which says, the work has been completely done. The work has been completely done, and God has already blessed you with his very self. See, we all need to stop, and we all need to recognize how great of a shift this is and can be for our life as we relate to God. I was having a really awesome conversation the other night um, 
at a uh, this little God dialogue that we do once in a while. And there was this girl there who uh, is, is not a Christian and was asking a lot of questions. And one of the questions she asked was, um, so how then does God accept me? How does God accept me? Is it basically just through following Jesus? And I was like, no, actually, that's not it. A lot of people think that. That if we perform right, if we follow Jesus, if we act right, then, that, then God will accept us. And I said, God will accept you when you realize that you're accepted. When you realize that Jesus Christ has done all the work for you, and you realize that in Christ you're accepted, then God will accept you. It's saying, I'm not going to represent myself because I can't do enough good but I'm going to accept Christ's representation on my behalf. I'm going to choose him to represent me. Let's pray. God, we embrace Jesus Christ this morning as our high priest, our counselor, our mediator. We believe that representing ourselves before you would be utterly insufficient as we are broken, as we are sinful. Thank you for for making us this, this way through Jesus Christ, our, our perfect sacrifice and the perfect high priest who goes before us. God, grant us the confidence to remain in your presence so we may bring your good news to the world around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.